0: Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be here with you all this morning. So as a church, we're following a little series at the moment called Following the Way of Jesus. And um, you're probably aware that uh, our little strap line, is that the, we are the church on the way? Is that right, Carrie? <laughs> we are the church on the way. We are literally on the Cotswold Way, and if you are in the village yesterday, you'll have seen hundreds of people either walking or running or staggering in the heat past the church. And that did make me think that our rock plans are very exciting, that perhaps in some way we can be a blessing to these thousands of people who every year pass our church door. But anyway, that's enough of that. We are on the Cotswold Way, but uh, as a church, we are on the way. We're wanting to um, align our lives. We're trying to follow Jesus' life and teaching. And in this little series, we're looking at the seven I Ams that Jesus uh, talks about in the Gospel of John. And I thought that's a really nice echo to earlier in the year when we were looking at the story of Moses and of course, there's that extraordinary encounter with the burning bush, and God reveals himself as the great I Am. And I Am is very easy for us to say in English, but I think the whole point, and even Yahweh we can say, but even the word, I think, was meant to be unpronounceable to the Jewish people there. And this I Am was almighty, but also very mysterious, unknowable, invisible, And yes, unpronounceable. And in contrast, Jesus, with his I am's, is making God through him knowable and relatable. And each begs a response of each of us. So far, we've looked at Jesus being the bread of life and the light of the world. And as you've guessed already, we're looking at him being the good shepherd today. And of course, it is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. And Psalm 23 is probably a favorite of many of us. Later this year, um, we're going to be taking another group um, of people, uh, a lovely group of people, some of whom um, have learning disabilities to Lourdes in France again. And our theme this year is going to be the 23rd Psalm. And I thought, because some of the people who come don't speak but use a kind of sign language called Makaton, I'd really like to learn how to sign um, the, the 23rd Psalm. But I don't know all the words, some of them are a bit tricky. I can ask you if you want a biscuit or a glass of water <laughs> or if you're going on holiday, but I can't sign the whole of the 23rd Psalm. So happily, a week ago, I found myself at an event talking to someone who is a BSL, British Sign Language Signer, translator, that's his job. And he was very happy to help me. And I explained that I I know the word for shepherd, and I did the sign for a crook, but I wanted to help with the rest of the psalm. And he stopped me right there, and he said, well, yes, that is uh, the sign for a shepherd, but is Jesus actually a shepherd? Does he walk around with actual sheep? Is that what you actually want to communicate to people? Isn't being a shepherd actually more about looking after or caring for people? Maybe that's a better sign. And in standing in the group, someone else said, no, I think being a shepherd is more about leading people. And so straight away, (laughs) how would you sign shepherd? What for you is the key thing about Jesus being your shepherd? Is it about the care? Is it about being guided? We love those ideas. We love the idea of him restoring us, of bringing comfort to us. But actually, none of those things are what Jesus refers to in our reading today. Isn't that interesting? So we're going to have a little look at those few verses and see what he's trying to draw our attention to in these verses about him being the good shepherd. But before we leap into that, Jesus would have been aware of this. And it's good to contrast the idea with what a bad shepherd looks like. And I'm just going to read you a few verses from Ezekiel, because the theme of shepherds and sheep is very strong in that book as well. This is in the Old Testament. And this is what Ezekiel said. He was, I suppose, talking to the religious leaders at the time. "'Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves.'" Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. That's the picture of a bad shepherd. And Jesus' words are just completely the opposite, aren't they? And there are three little things I want us to notice today. The first is that Jesus, as the good shepherd, loves his sheep so much. He's passionate for them. He loves them so much, he sacrificed himself for them. In verse 11 in our reading, it said, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and that's an echo with something Jesus says um, a few chapters later when he says, Greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for his friends. And I guess that's pointing forward to his death for us. And that's what we're going to be celebrating in communion shortly. The shepherd loves his flock, every single one of them. Then in verse 14, it says, I know my sheep and they know me. I know my sheep and they know me. And again, that's quite a contrast with the Old Testament, Yahweh, mysterious, almighty. The people were to have a relationship with God, but it was so hard. But Jesus points to an intimate knowledge. He knows everything about his people And he wants his people to know him. But the third thing is what I really want to draw your attention to today. And it's something I never noticed before. Uh, If you were here last week you'll have heard Nigel speaking about Jesus being the light of the world. And apparently, I'd, I'd never noticed this before. You probably all knew all about it, but I didn't. <laughs> um, that in all of these I am's, there's a description, an action, and a consequence. So uh, the description of I am the bread of life, the action is come to me, and the consequence is never be hungry and thirsty again. For the light of the world, that's the description. The action is follow me. And then you're the consequence is you'll never walk in darkness but have the light of life. So what is it that we find here about the good shepherd? The action, in verse 16, is to listen. Listen. And the consequence is there will be one flock. Something I've never noticed before. From a shepherding point of view, there are, there are two ways of looking at this. It makes sense to keep the flock together because, as we've seen from that Ezekiel bit, a sheep that's separated from the flock is very vulnerable, isn't it? It can get lost, it can come to harm, it's vulnerable to attack. And each sheep is precious to a shepherd And that's why we love that parable of the lost sheep so much, the idea of the shepherd going off and finding the lost sheep and bringing it back to the flock. Um, At the beginning of the service, Nigel mentioned Mike Watkins, who is dear to so many of us here, and I remember him saying that his favorite chapter in the Bible is Luke 15, where it talked about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, and how they're all lost in different ways. But I think there's more to this idea of keeping the flock together than um, the possibility of strays, sheep getting lost. There's something about oneness and unity. And again, that's a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. I bet these verses are familiar to some of you. Uh, Here we go. This is a very short psalm. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down among the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And in the verses, you might have noticed it talked about how Jesus talked about his flock, but he said, there's other sheep out there I need to bring in as well. And I suppose he's talk- he was talking to Jewish people, but he was referring to the Gentiles. We are those other sheep that he wanted to bring in. And um, again, there's a wonderful passage in Ephesians that talks about being one, in Christ, and how Jesus' death made that possible. Paul wrote this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we have both have access to the Father by one Son. God's heart is for people to be one. But often when we look around ourselves, we see fragmentation and division. And what causes that? I guess religious differences. Perhaps if we think about our own families or work or community or politically, hurt causes division Frustration, disapproval, perhaps a general culture of criticism. We like to jump on the bandwagon. And if we make it more personal, how do you respond when you're frustrated with how things are going, when you've been hurt? Do you like to shout and swear? Do you withdraw and sulk? Do you plan your revenge? Do you like to exact punishment? Or just have a good old gossip and make sure everyone knows how horrible that person is? I don't think Jesus would really want any of those, would he? He's the good shepherd and he wants one flock. And what's our action? To listen. Perhaps, rather than our natural knee-jerk reaction, perhaps we can train ourselves to stop and to listen and to say, Jesus, I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm feeling really hurt. I can't agree with what that person's doing. How do you want me to respond? That could make a big difference, couldn't it, if we all do that? I don't think by listening to God we'd all end up supporting the same football team or voting for the same political party. I think there's something deeper here. I think it's possible to have unity within diversity. And there are deeper and greater things that Jesus wants to talk to us about. This week I took our barn group to a lovely garden near Bristol Um, a little Christian community there and the lady there had painted on little pebbles around the garden the different fruits of the spirit for us to find like a little treasure hunt and once we'd found them all she said gosh wouldn't it make a difference if we all lived our lives following the fruits of the spirit and she was right wasn't she imagine if we could respond with kindness and self control in the face of cruelty and selfishness if we could pursue good in the face of injustice. If we could exercise forgiveness when we're feeling hurt. If we could truly pray for our enemies. It's very countercultural, isn't it? But Jesus makes it possible. He says, listen to me. But he also gives us the spirit. The spirit that works deeply within us. The spirit that gives us this power to change. We know that Jesus is our advocate, that when we pray, he's praying to the Father for us. And he gives us one another. I think we've got beyond thinking we should push down and suppress bad feelings when they come up within us. We know that's not good for us. He gives us one another. So perhaps rather than having a good old go at the person who's hurt us, find a trusted um, person who you know will keep confidence who you can vent to and who will pray for you as you work out how to respond to your situation. We want to be people of peace in the world. And I won't read the verses now, but if we were to go back to Ezekiel 37, again there's a picture of um, two becoming one. And the outcome there is that the nations looking on will know that God is God. It's an amazing act of witness when people can see that we as a community don't gossip about each other, aren't horrible, aren't trying to stick the knife in. Whether we're, this is a church, in our places of work, in our families, it's an amazing witness to the love of God. So I'm finishing now. <clears throat> We've looked at this familiar idea of the Good Shepherd. And we do love to think of him as guiding and restoring, leading. But today, I just want you to be reminded the fact that God loves every single one of his sheep very much. He knows each one of us intimately, and he wants us to know him intimately too. And the real challenge for each of us today, I think, is how can we pursue this idea of oneness, of unity?